0: Support for Best of Belfast comes from listeners just like me who love Northern Ireland and believe we have a better story to tell. Massive thanks to all of you listening who have already joined the Producers Club, especially our Titanic Producers, Barclays Eagle Labs, Ulster University, Young Enterprise Northern Ireland, Gavin Wall, Peter Dixon and of course the Ormobiles team. To find out more about how you can support independent ad-free media get invitations to live podcasts, and submit questions to our guests, please visit bestofbelfast.org. Thanks so much, and we really hope you enjoy today's show. First memory,
1: my memories are all of home and uh, my, uh, my my home, my family home in Banger. Uh My family consisted of my mum, uh, Aaron, my dad, Jackie, who's no longer with us, and me, I'm an only child, and my first proper memory, I suppose, is going to P1. I'm sure I've got memories before that. Um, but, but but going to P1 on the, my very first day comes into my mind every single time I go to my mom's house. I pull into the driveway and uh, the wall um, is where I stood to have my picture taken whenever um, I went to P1. And I had a picture taken on that wall for pretty much every single year of primary school oh, wow. not so secondary school now um, but <laughs> certainly in primary school on that wall i had the picture taken on the first day and um and so much so that now my kids who are in primary school um we take them around and they have a picture on the wall <laughs> on the first day of each new year as sad as that sounds but that's the crack so on my first day of p1 um i'll paint the picture i'm standing on the wall outside my parents house at the bottom of the garden um and i'm in uh, i've got a wee brown leather satchel uh Backpack <laughs> nice. on the back, and and uh, I w- I didn't go to a prep school or anything. I just went to I went to Banger Central Primary School, um, and my mum sent me to school in shorts. Ooh. And um, in any of the uh, I do a little bit of speaking now, which I'm really enjoying. I might get on to talk about that in a little while. But um, uh, I, I flag up this picture. <laughs> um, whenever I'm, I'm I'm speaking and doing doing some talks about self development and stuff, and the, uh, the <laughs> I'm standing in these shorts, mate, but like they're they're not like your normal shorts the kids would wear to to school. Okay. They're like hot. They're like hot pants. They're Ooh, that tight. Lovely. That tight. <laughs> and um, and the other thing that she she's got me in as well. She's got me in like knee high socks. They, oh, it's just so bro. it's. So embarrassing. <laughs> and I always think to myself when I see that picture, I think, I think my mum wished that I was a girl. <laughs> I, uh, I, I really, really do. But um, so, yeah, that's my probably my first memory. Um, uh, and uh, I, I always remember that day. Um, I remember being dropped off at school. I remember being totally traumatized. As I said, <laughs> um, I am an only child. And certainly whenever I was that age, you know, going to school on on uh on a, on a first day not having a brother and a sister who were already there sure no one no one before me arriving into that classroom knowing nobody um because i always remember as well as a child i uh when i came to nursery school the nursery school associated with the primary school um my mom couldn't get me into so i ended up going to this wee nursery in the salvation army hall in banger (laughs) so so everyone everyone who was there went to lots of different schools and whenever i arrived at banger central pretty much everyone had gone to banger central nursery and they all they all knew each other sure and i knew and i knew new one but anyway um i had a a brilliant time in primary school and my first real memory i suppose is is that day of p1 the hot pants the (laughs) knee-high socks and ready for the off Oh man, so, so good. So for any listeners
2: who've just jumped in to, to listen to us, we're sitting down today with the the one and only Pete Snodden, legendary broadcaster, presenter, event host, stadium announcer, speaker, DJ, husband, dad, son, friend, lover of life. A lot of you guys have grown up or drive to work listening to, to Pete on Cool FM. And you're definitely, I mean, you're without a doubt, you're one of the most recognizable voices in the nation like i i kind of hear you all over the place and i hear you kind of around the places did you do something for eurospar i feel like every time i'm in getting like some milk there's like uh there's
1: there you're there too do you know what i mean yeah okay so it it wasn't eurospar it was centra ah Um, that's what it is yeah so um yeah i've been doing i'm sort of the voice of centra and uh um, I think it's really weird saying that, but I've been, I've been on their <laughs> adverts for, for quite some time and, um, and I've been doing events and different bits and bobs uh, with them and, um, and they're a great bunch to work for. It's bizarre whenever you say that. I mean, you say legendary broadcaster. Um, I think the word legend gets thrown out all too easily these days. <laughs> I certainly don't consider myself a legend by any stretch of the imagination. Definitely not. But what is really weird is um, is how quickly time passes and mm-hmm. how long I've been doing what I'm doing. So you say about uh, people growing up hearing me in the radio, perhaps going to school or whatever. Paolo, who works in the show with us now, um, like he he was he, he he went through right through his teenage years to listen to me wow. in the morning, going to school. <laughs> and now, now we're working together. Um, so I, I find that really bizarre that 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 I've been doing it for as long as I have, and also haven't done the breakfast show for as long as I have. Um, I, I love breakfast radio, yeah. um, and we'll, we'll get into talking about all that, I'm sure. But, but, but being on at that time of the day and being part of people's lives at that time of the morning, um, it's not for every broadcaster. Sure. Um, it really isn't, but, but I absolutely love it. Amazing. And, and you say about me being there for, for quite some time doing it, and it, it is. it runs to years and years and years now. <laughs> I, I'm, very, I'm so unbelievably thankful. Um, that people um, allow yeah. us into their lives at that time of the morning because the easiest decision anyone's got in the day is to go, ah, switch it off or, sure. or not even bother switching it on. So to be part of people's day is such a huge honor. Um, and to be on the radio for for that, you know, over this long period of time is just amazing because it's the only thing I've wanted to do, the only thing that I've truly had a passion for that I've wanted to do. Um, so it's, it's such an honor. And um, actually, <laughs> arguably, I'm enjoying it more now um, than what I've ever enjoyed it in my life.
2: Wow. So, I mean, there's there's so much in there we could kind of unpack and go down, but let's kind of go back. You said this is what you always wanted to do. So, walk me through briefly from the P1 with the knee-high socks to your first kind of gig in radio or media. And was that passion always there, or where does that passion come from?
1: Um. Okay. So my my love of radio came. Um. I was on a P6 trip my first time away from my parents and um, again only child first time away from my parents we were at Arden Abandon Outdoor Pursuit Center unreal uh, at Castle well, and um, I've got to be honest with you I was again probably like going to P1 I was a bit traumatized <laughs> so uh, we get to Arden Abandon I had a brilliant time by the way and we did bouldering and pony trekking and um, we did uh, lots of different canoeing and all sorts of stuff it was great <laughs> But, um, but at nighttime, I remember on my first night, I, I, I got sent away with a little uh, Walkman. No, it wasn't a Sony Walkman. It was state-of-the-art. It was Alba. And it was the Alba Walkman, which, had, which didn't just have a cassette tape, but also had, uh, obviously, a radio. So Cool FM had literally just, just been launched. Um, the year's 1990. And um, I lay in bed uh, at night, my first night, missing home everyone else uh there was like two bunk beds in my memory serves me right so there was four of us in the room um and i'm in the top bunk and um i stick the radio on and um so everyone's sleeping i'm missing home i'm listening to the radio and it was that connection wow it was just and i remember the song distinctly it was phil collins something happened on the way to heaven hmm. and i was hooked and um and then um what happened was my uh, a teacher at my school um um had some sort of uh, radio gear that um that that he had in the school, so it, it was taken from Stramellas College at a student radio station. If my memory serves me <laughs> correct. He had bought the gear, brought it to school. Nice, and then and then during the school fates, fairs, uh, he would have set up at the back to play music into cool. the into the hall, and um, I was one of those people that. That put the records on and my first gig um after having done that was my parents friend's 40th birthday party Ooh. it's amazing i actually remember this um but anyway uh i'm surprised at myself that i remember this but uh it was a banker golf club and um the dj was a guy called errol
2: Okay, and uh, The only Errol I <laughs> have ever Big DJ met. Earl, I know him well, yep, yep, yep. yep.
1: <laughs> DJ Errol was playing the songs. And I was there, and I think the reason why I was there, because my mom and dad couldn't get a babysitter. <laughs> so I stood and I watched Errol all night. And you got to remember, back in the day, this is whenever, you know, like it was a smoke-filled room. Everyone was having cigarettes. Whenever yeah. I remember Errol standing over the two turntables, and I just stood there just looking at him, and he started speaking to me, and I said... I can do that. <laughs> and Errol said, Well, if you can do that and he picked out the next three songs and said, I'm away to the bar <laughs> and he handed me the three the three tracks and I put on one after the other. And that was probably that was that was that was my first gig, so to speak, it wasn't real. Really- gig but it was my first time playing music in front of people so i mean talk to me about the actual tech behind
2: that i know it's a silly question but what i mean is like now you would maybe just press play on a playlist or you would you know select the next song digitally so what did he hand you was it a cd was it a
1: Oh, vinyl records vinyl records so um seven inch single um vinyl records and um, I just put one on after the other, queued it up. There was no mixing or anything like that. It was just play one after the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was my first experience of playing in front of a crowd. So, radio radio was always a, a, a massive thing for me from, from that age. And the the really interesting thing is, nowadays, is people say to me about, you know, oh, you should be doing television. yeah And th- the whole media landscape has changed somewhat, right? Because, you know, TV... Is TV, mm-hmm. but but we consume so much vision uh, on lots of other platforms. Yeah. So so for me, I always say to people, you know, yeah, that's yeah. Don't get me wrong. If if a, if a big TV gig, I've been on TV over the years doing different bits and bobs. But a big TV gig come along, I'm not going to turn around and say no. Mm. Um. In a CMB, and it's like you know, I, I do stuff, a lot of stuff in vision, which is online, and that's all great. But I, whenever I was a kid, I never dreamt of being on the television. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was just about
2: the radio. Fascinating. And you talked earlier about that connection. And I think, especially, one of the reasons why people feel so connected to you is, like you said, it's the consistency. It's, you know, Monday to Friday for years and years and years built up. And I think, more so than TV, I think audio has a real intimacy to it. And I'm not necessarily sure why. I think it's got something to do with. Like you said, how people are inviting you into parts of their lives that maybe other voices wouldn't get to. So in the car, doing the dishes, going out for a walk. And so do you find that people tend to be very familiar with you? Do you tend to find that people have this kind of like impression that they know you really well, even if
1: you've never actually met in real life? Um, I think it's the biggest compliment anyone can ever pay you if they turn around and say, um, "Oh, I feel like I know you." Wow! And um, and I'll tell you the reason why. I think it's the biggest compliment because um, they've they've chosen to allow you into their world, right? If they feel like they know you, you've got a you've had a connection with them. Mm-hmm. So how do you get that connection with someone? Um, I think it's a real it's a real it's a tightrope, it's a real balancing act because I really do believe that on radio you you gotta share enough of yourself so people get to know you. Mm-hmm. So like for instance, you go for coffee or you with a friend or you go to the pub with a mate or you go out for dinner with somebody, you choose to spend time with them. Yeah. During that time you spend with them, you get to know them, they become your friend. All right. And you choose over your life to spend as much or as little time with that person. The same thing happens with radio, I think, in order to 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 get um, an audience and for people to want to tune in or people to choose you, um, your show at that time of the day is because they have got a connection with you. They feel like they know you. They want to spend time with you. And that's the biggest compliment um, anyone can ever pay you. But let's talk about this balancing act and... What I mean is I, I really believe that you've got to give enough of yourself so people get to know you and people get to want to, you know, what they want to spend time with you. Yeah. However, you can go too far and people just think you're you're too full of your own self-importance and you're really mm. up yourself. And I think that's a, that's the that's balance snack. That's a tightrope to talk about. Yeah.
2: I think that's a, particularly in a Northern Irish context as well. We have quite a low threshold for, for that sort of thing of people being full themselves
1: and everything like that. How- I think I think I think. Listen, listen. I'm the the thing which I love about what you're doing with this podcast is that you're showcasing what is the best of Belfast, what you consider to be the best of Northern Ireland. We have so many great people in 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 this part of the world, and for the size of the population, what we have achieved mm. as a community is absolutely huge. And it's we, we, we 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 I'd punch our weight massively. Yeah, <laughs> but but for me. Um, for me w- w- one of our traits here is we love to see people from here doing well mm-hmm. we really do to a point yes that's it you can be successful but not too successful whoa 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 <laughs> you know and and that that um that that amazes me on on so many levels um whereby you know you can do so well to 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 a point and and uh, and then suddenly people just like to take you down a peg or two but you know what I think I think that's another reason why people from here particularly in media and whatnot um have gone on um the, the ones who've gone above and beyond Northern Ireland and moved away I think our humor is really good yeah. I think our, our accent travels and I also think that uh, the personalities who have gone and, and they've done it are not too full of their own self-importance and I also think they don't take themselves too seriously and I'm thinking about the Eamon Holmes of this world Absolutely. and I'm thinking about the Paddy Cooley's of this world um, and and the whole list goes on Christine the, the, list, the list goes on.
2: Yeah yeah cool so how did you start to kind of get into radio work? Like, did you go to college or university to study something? Did you do an internship? What was that kind of career path, quote unquote?
1: Yeah, okay, so um, I'd got a set of turntables whenever I was 14 at Christmas. And again, this is before YouTube and all of that. I didn't know any DJs. Um, And uh, the DJ I mentioned earlier, Errol, I only ever saw him that one night in the golf club (laughs) on my parents' friend's 40th birthday. So um, I didn't know anybody, so I had to try and teach myself. None of my friends were DJs. Um, you couldn't you couldn't just go online and and look it up and see what you had to do. So anyway, I got these turntables, started going to the record uh, shop, uh, buying records, and trying to teach myself how to mix. It took me forever to work out that the end of the game was actually to match the beats. There's no <laughs> one, no one would tell me because sure. even even going into the record store, um, then at that age was a really intimidating place. You know, club culture in Belfast was kicking off massively. Um, you, and I was too young to go to any any of the nights, you know, the troubles were on, um, uh, clubbers who were going clubbing, and I, I heard about these nights on the radio and the likes of um, uh, Eddie Ray's show, um, and they were going out to places like Circus Circus, <laughs> and they were going to Kilwater House and Lawn. they were going to Kelly's and Port Rush, um, and and that's that that's what was happening whenever I went into the record shop in Belfast to buy my songs after uh, after school you know all the dJs would be hanging out um, <laughs> and it was a really intimidating place. It yeah. turned out to be for me just the, the best the to going to the record store was just the best thing ever it really was i i cannot i i actually and not to sound old or, or not down with the kids but you see for the young people coming through now who want to be DJs um and they just go online and they just download their songs and um what well, the, the the passion that you got in that record store you, you got you, you had to know the people behind the counter because yeah. whenever a record whenever uh, producers were producing records they may have only got maybe a limited run of 100 pressed and they stuck them out across across the uk in various record stores maybe a record shop would only have got three or four copies of a song right. and then what you were going in there you were going in there you we're trying to create a relationship with the people i learned so much going to the record shop relationships with people so that they would know that you know what he's a good customer keep that yeah. song for him yeah so whenever i learned really early on that whenever i would have gone into the record shop there would have been piles of records behind the counter all saved for djs across uh, the city that no one else would have got their hands on oh, and I, I i really prided myself in Trying to get records first. Whereas <laughs> now everybody can just have whatever record they want. Yeah. And and the game has changed somewhat now. It's it's more about playing songs that people aren't expecting you to play. Yeah. Whereas then it was all about playing the music first. And the record shop experience, although it was intimidating over the years, like I would have spent at least four days awake in record shops. Oh I had I, I had my tour. I would have gone to well it was Mixmaster. Then it turned into Elite Records, and I went back to Mixmaster. Would have been the street dance in Belfast as well. I would have been in uh, underground music every Friday afternoon. Paul Murray's shop in Bangor, absolutely amazing. I was in there every single Friday in life. Whenever I went to university, you talked about uni, um, I went to Coleraine, and there was a record shop in Coleraine called Graham's Records, and I went in there every single Thursday um, <laughs> before I came back down the road to obviously go, de- go DJing at the weekend during my university year. So the record shop thing um, was was amazing, and, and it's, not, it's not although record shops still exist and people... There, there's there's still that new wave of people buying vinyl records um it, it's it's not the same as what it was yeah yeah absolutely it's a, it's completely forgotten
2: kind of like place that doesn't really uh, exist in any sort of scenario anymore in the in the kind of real world there's like online communities but it just doesn't seem to be the same what did you study
1: uh, so i studied at um University of Ulster, or Ulster University as it is now, um, <laughs> at Korean. The reason for, for going there, um, so I, I really struggled uh, going through school with actually saying what it was I wanted to do. I told yeah. I told friends and whatever else in school that I wanted to, to be a DJ, and my God, I got I got absolutely ribbed for that. Yeah, I bet. Really, really ribbed for that. Um, I wouldn't, uh, I couldn't go to my, so I went to Instant Belfast um, and the majority of my friends are uh, lawyers, dentists, doctors—you um, know, you know your traditional, you know, uh, tr- traditional grammar school totally um, sort of careers. Yeah. And um, there's Snodden from Bangor who wants to be a DJ. <laughs> I didn't have the heart. I couldn't tell my careers teacher that that's what I wanted to do, but on the basis that. Being the person that I was, albeit confident around my mates and whatever I wasn't, the person standing at the front of the class making everyone laugh. Yeah. So that didn't didn't really sit well with me um, saying that. So I remember it came to, to choose what I wanted to do at university. And um, it was a really, really hard decision to make because everyone else, all my friends knew what they wanted to do. They they knew what universities they wanted to go to. So um, I went to my careers teacher and he says, You're good at technology, why don't you do some sort of architecture? course and i looked at the architect <laughs> course and like in generally it was like what six years long or something And i was about like I well, do we know that's for me so i found this course at um jordanstown um architectural technology and management and uh i uh decided that's what it was that i was going to do and so i went so. and um, and i went to jordanstown and um Within the first two weeks, I realized this, In for me, this is not what I would want to be doing for the rest of my life. How yeah. am I here? What am, yeah. what, am, what am I doing? So I was still living at home and um, uh, with my mom and dad, and um, a friend of mine, Simon from Bangor, who went to Bangor Grammar, he was doing the same course as me. So at that stage, we were both driving, and we shared lifts, driving each other into Jordanstown. And at that particular moment in time, Chris Evans had left Radio 1. Zoe so Ball had taken over the Radio 1 breakfast show, um, and uh, Chris Evans had uh, done a deal with Sky, not too dissimilar to the deal <laughs> that Virgin Radio have done with Sky now. And what they had in the morning was they uh, they broadcast his show on Sky 1. Wow. So, I, so I could see, this is before the internet, you've got to remember, I could see, or the internet was only starting, but I, I could see Chris Evans working away in the studio in the morning. Doing his breakfast show on Virgin Radio, and what used to happen is, whenever he played the song, then the music video would have played uh, on the screen. So what then happened was, was that whenever he was like uh, linking over the over the like the intro of a song, the the screen would split in half, the music video would start, very clever, and then you could still see him in the studio. And then whenever he put them pulled the microphone down, then it went full screen wow. of the music video. So I used to get up early in the morning and watch this. Right on Virgin, yeah. on, on Sky One, and I was just hooked. I was like, you know what, the radio was definitely where it's at for me. And then what <laughs> we used to happen then, Virgin Radio then was in 1215, so it was on medium wave, so the the, the actual signal of it was rubbish in the car. Yeah. So we used to get into the car then to drive to Jordan's town, and listen to Zoe Ball the whole way there. And, <laughs> um, and Radio One then was different than what, what Cool FM was doing. I listened to Cool all my life, and it was where I aspired to be. But at that particular moment in time, radio one this is they were playing like a lot of the club tracks that pete tong would have been playing yeah in in their main music mix during the day whereas the likes of cool fm and whatnot wasn't so at that stage then wanting to be a dance dj playing in nightclubs and whatever and they were playing this sort of stuff in their mainstream lineup i was like this is brilliant so i was listening for the music listening to what these guys were doing and i was just this is exactly what i want to do so i was really really just it wasn't where i wanted to be um doing that course what also was going on at the time was that all my friends had gone away newcastle edinburgh dublin and and i'm listening i'm hearing from them what they're getting up to and i'm going i'm really missing out on this university <laughs> experience so i i thought wholeheartedly at that point i thought maybe it just maybe i just need to get away from home maybe that's what it is maybe yeah. i need to move away so my cousin was at uh, harriet watt in edinburgh and i went over and, and stayed with him for a week and absolutely loved it. Applied for a course in um applied for a course in Edinburgh, got in and was just about to move. Um, and at that particular time I just got a foot in the door at the radio station. And we'll talk <laughs> if you want about how I got my foot in the door at the radio station. And at that stage, I was like, What do I do? So what I decided was, well, you know what? If I can't, if, if I hit my course at Jordanstown, I'm gonna leave that. Um, by the way, my, my dad was a real stickler. He said, you will still pass first year, by the way. <laughs> so he made me do all my exams. But that's character building in itself. And I'm very thankful of him for, for doing that. I then decided, right, well, if I don't go to Edinburgh, I've got a foot in the George radio station. What about if I go to Cool Rain? And then if I go to Cool Rain, then I can still travel down the road to do the radio thing at the weekend. And yeah. I still get to live away from home. So that's what I did. Um, absolutely loved it. Uh, the North Coast to go to university was brilliant. It was at a time as well when there was a lot of development and stuff happening in the likes of Port Stewart and Port Rush. Um it must have been it must have been the good times for people who were in the working world and maybe there's a little bit of money around because yeah. people were at that stage starting to buy like holiday homes and whatever. So I always remember being up there um, living in a brand spanking new four-bedroom house, right? Nice. For for fifty-five quid a week, <laughs> right? <laughs> Meanwhile, friends of mine who were acquaintances were playing ninety pound a week to live in some hovel off the Lisburn Road. Oh. So, um, so <laughs> I gotta say, I uh, I felt a little bit like I was cheating the system, but it was really really good. So I went to Korean. And uh, I studied international business, um, and the reason for doing that Super. was just to get, just to get a business background because I sort of thought, you know, if this radio thing doesn't happen for me, at least you've got an, an idea of business. Maybe you could set up your own business mm. or whatever. That was number one, um, and then number two, uh, it only—I think it was 15 hours a week my classes, so it gave me loads of time awesome. to do demos, to run club nights, um, and to to really work on what it was that I wanted to do, which was. Be on radio yeah. so, that, so i used my time at uni to, to, to try and make that happen so talk to me about the foot in the door then the foot in the door um so I, I mentioned wes's show on a saturday night um and uh he had this guest slot so what i did was um i i remember recording a mix and going to get a pressed on the cd and I went and got a graphic designer to record to do the cover for me and I oh, produced yeah. up a proper like a proper CD. And I went down, he was DJing a banker one night at um, the old Windsor Bar. And I went to the gig. And then at the end of the night I left like about ten minutes early and I stood at the, I stood at the door waiting for him to leave. Mm. And then as he was leaving, I, f- I walked beside him to the car and I was like, Right, hi, how are you doing? This and you don't know me, but I listen to your show. I really want to be on your show. Here's the C D. So he gave me, so anyway, he took the CD and gave me his number and he said, listen, give me a call during the week and uh, I'll take a listen. I yeah. went, right, that's dead on. So went and see if that week came and I made the phone call and he didn't answer. Got so him. I phoned him again and he says hello and I said, hi, you might remember me, I, I gave you that CD last Friday night in banger oh yeah 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 yeah. listen uh ha- having a chance to listen to it yet give me a call next week <laughs> and i went okay no problem so then <laughs> it came it came to the middle of the next week and uh, i phoned him again and he picked up the phone and i said hi how are you doing listening to me again and um, i gave you the cd a couple of weeks ago and i still to this day don't think he listened to it and he said <laughs> no problem no pro- uh, yeah i'll put you on and then he pulled his diary out there and then he says the saturday the 23rd does that work for you? Oh, my I said, days. I said, no problem. What time? He said, be there for a quarter to eight. <laughs> Unreal. I went, I went, okay. <laughs> so the, the 23rd came around. I'm bricking it. And I'm listening to the radio show. And I'm thinking to myself, right, I haven't told anybody that uh, I'm going to be on, yeah. on the basis that I was worried in case it fell through. Of course. So I'm listening to the start of the radio show, 20 minutes get into the show. He hasn't mentioned who's doing the, the guest mix. And I'm now getting in the car and I'm driving to the radio station and I hear my name on the radio that I'm oh. coming on, and I was like, oh my god! <laughs> and and there were there were there were two things going on in my head. Number one, oh this is brilliant, and number two, I am absolutely cacking it. Oh, I um. So anyway, I arrived, I did it. Um. It went really well. At the end of the at the end of the at the end of it, he was doing a link in the news and he says, oh. That was Pete Snodden. We'll have him back on the show again soon. Unreal. And literally, as soon as he pulled the microphone pan, I said, "So, can I come back then?" <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, give me a call next week." <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> and I came to the wedding of that week, and I phoned him and he gave me a date for another four or five weeks down the line Epic. and the same sort of thing happened and then it turned out that I ended up um going in there on a saturday night um and and helping him out helping him out in the radio show learning what was going on. he then had an overnight show um that was uh, happening at the time Friday nights into saturday morning and um uh, I used to go in there and uh, whilst he was on air in the one studio went into the second studio and just Played away with the stuff. No, none of the management or anything new that that, that I was there. But I I did That's... that for the guts of two years. Um, just went in there, but worked for you know, just doing what I was doing. Wasn't getting paid for anything I got there, but yeah. it was money. Money can't buy experience. It was just incredible. And then during that time, um, I I recorded a a, a track, a dance track. Um, a friend of mine. Um. Uh, had a home studio and he was a producer and I went into his house and we produced this track and, um, it got signed to, I'd sent out to lose record labels and nothing came back. And, uh, this gentleman called, I always remember his name. It's it, it, randomly, he must've been working for a record label or whatever. I'm not too sure how this came about, but I'd I, I find, I'd find his name. Somehow I'd sent him this track. um, or might have gone to a record uh, company that he was working for. I, I honestly can't quite remember his names, Andros, Giorgio. Great name. And I, yeah, and that's why I always remember it. I actually the reason why his names came back up whenever George Michael passed away, he was actually in the press quite a bit. And ah. what I didn't realize at the time that he was George Michael's cousin. Oh, flip! Yeah. So anyway, he 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 got in touch with me and said, "Listen, I found your track here. I'm producing a like a free CD that's going to go out." Um, with the Daily Star. Oh. And I went, right, okay, dead on. And uh, he said, I'd like to include this, the track. And I went, right, no parcels. So they sent me this contract, and pretty much it was like, you know... Uh, Sign your life away. but well, I wasn't getting paid for anything like that, but it was just it just gave them the rights to put the song onto onto this uh under this free compilation CD. And the compilation was called the Magnificent Seven. I don't know how magnificent it was, but I haven't seen <laughs> any of the rest of the guys. Um and uh, and so they put my track on on this on this free CD. They flew us to London, had a quick photo shoot. And um I also remember I also remember uh, we were going into we were going into this studio in London to to um to, <laughs> to get uh, the photograph taken and and I didn't know like it was London that flew me over and was meeting all these other guys whose song was on this CD right and um uh we were sitting there and the guy said this guy can't remember his name turned around to me he was one of the other producers of one of the songs or one of the tracks on this uh, CD he says to me he says ah, this is where they all come. Okay. And I went, I went, what do you mean this is where they all come? And he said, This is where all the page three models come to have their pictures taken. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was like, What And he goes, Yeah, yeah. The photographer's Jeannie Savage. Jeannie Savage is taken our picture. She pictures all the page three models. And I'm like, All right, mate. <laughs> no Sound info, thanks, mate. <laughs> Sound info, that's really, really good. And I always remember it because after that, right? I, the Daily Star wouldn't have been a public, uh, like a, a paper that I would have purchased, and I then I'd never forget whenever it came out in the, in the middle of the papers, this double page spread and the free CD, I turned over to page three and there was the page three picture, and at the bottom right hand corner it said GD Savage. There she <laughs> is. The guy was right. It, the guy was right, and the guy was uh, the guy was obviously a massive fan of the paper yes, and all the three models, of course. Um, so anyway, so the, the, uh, I'm in a national daily paper, and um, uh, and I'm now in the radio station for about two years, and I made an appointment to go and see the MD. I arrived in his, in his office. He gave me some of his time. At that stage he'd known that I was around, but um, I put the, the double page spread on the on the table, and he goes, "Right, okay." And I said, Listen, I'd love my own show and I ended up wankling uh, a couple of weekend shifts overnight and that's what got me started and that was that, that meeting was in November two thousand and two uh, and no, sorry, that's a lie. November two thousand and one and I was still at university, it was in my final year. Mad I dumb. started the first week of January two thousand and two and then I graduated that June. Wow. I mean that is some serious hustling to get in the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I I you see, whenever I look back at that time, um, it was there's was a number of things that really drove me on. Um, number one, the passion that I wanted to do it, and that's what I would say to anybody, you yeah. know, I said to you earlier on, I'm enjoying what I do now probably more than what I've ever done. Mm, and yeah. um, and that's probably because I'm I'm probably at my most comfortable in myself yeah. at this time. And I, I think that comes that comes with experience, life experience, age. Um it also comes with um, I suppose just experiences, um, and getting through adversity, and and trying to, um, and just trying to survive. And yeah. and whenever you're, whenever whenever I was that age, I was just I was just so eager. But but I wanted it all. I I just wanted it all. now yeah. Um, <laughs> and and what it really taught me is that you have to work at it, and you gotta you gotta bide your time, and you gotta work hard, and all those things that my parents would have instilled in me whenever I was growing up, it was so so true. Mm-hmm. But you have to find it out for yourself. Um, and 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 then whenever I look back at it I was so young to get on I mean I started breakfast in 2004 2005 nice. I was 24 years of age so good and, and 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 what I didn't realize then I was probably the youngest um regional breakfast show presenter mm. in the UK <sighs> Um, and, 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 and I never would have known that my yeah. boss at the time took a massive gamble, put me on. I'd never done five shifts a week. never mind do it on breakfast. Yeah, took a huge sure. gamble. It could have been, it could have been the biggest, the biggest, um, mistake ever. Yeah. But he took a, he took a gamble on me. And I, I tell the story, um, I've said it to a few people. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll never forget someone who works in the industry saying to me, Whenever it was announced that I was going to take the breakfast show, and they said to me, "Do you think you're ready for it?" Mm. And I remember at that particular, I remember coming home and actually feeling really hurt by that. Yeah. Do you think you're ready for this? And and then I thought to myself, "Well, hold on, I'm not going to go." Hey, listen, thanks for the opportunity. Not quite ready, <laughs> but if you uh, if, if you give me a shout back in, let's say twelve months, Here, uh, then, yeah, do you know maybe. what? Call me, call me sometime next week, would you? <laughs> yeah you know so so again again, you know it, it, i think with everything it taught- I, 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 through my experience um from a young age, I learned that if you want to get somewhere, you have to try and step out of your comfort zone mm. um th- you know that was it and the, the other thing for me as well with the doubters, I had a fair bit of hassle whenever I was a kid, um growing up and and saying this is what I wanted to do. Um, and I had the hand taken out of me quite a bit and, um, and and a big part of me pushing to do what it is I do. Yeah, number one, because it's what I want to do, but also to prove, prove all those people wrong. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I want to go back just slightly to the international business. And just briefly, why I want to bring that up is because... I first kind of met you through Young Enterprise and Young Enterprise is something that I like it has shaped my life dramatically, it completely changed the course of my life. And I look at all the different things you do that we read out at the start of the show and really on the face of it, you are an entrepreneur. And even just hearing that story of how you got into radio, like that's not a typical career path where you have a job interview. It's very much you go out and you add your own value and you create the thing for yourself. So... Talk to me about kind of your business as such. Like, it sounds like you've had multiple streams coming in. Uh, it's not just Cool FM. Are you set up? Are you an employee? Are you self-employed? Do you have a business? What way is all that kind of set up? So
1: I'm my own company director. Um, hey, nice. Yeah. CEO. Hey, founder, CEO. My big company of one. Um so yeah it's me um i've got my own business i'm a limited company um i uh you're right i've got different revenue streams um absolutely um i uh broadcasting's an interesting one because generally um it's been um uh, across uk broadcasting um, and certainly in the commercial sector always that 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 um presenters are freelance mm. um so whenever i graduated uh, in june 2002 i declared myself self-employed wow. and i went from there so i so i i have no one no different so yes cool fm is probably my biggest most steadily most sort of steady contract but i do lots of work outside of that you know yeah. it started off being mid and stuff and then it turned into a whole host of other things right the way through now to, to speak in or um um uh, doing doing events hosting events um all that sort of stuff so my, my business is primarily um broadcasting presenting hosting um a bit of digital marketing sort of stuff yeah. um and uh, and that's and that's really really where I'm at with with my business, um, I have lots of aspirations in terms of of of, of where I want to go. I think primarily for me is that um, well, there's a number of things. First and foremost, to talk about the speaking bit, um, I, I um, I've, I've I, I spoke earlier on about whenever I was trying to get into D and I had no one to speak to. I had to, I had to pretty much... Stalk the guy? <laughs> but, but yeah, no, but, but I pretty much had to, had to learn, teach myself yeah. without, without having anyone to pass on any knowledge, right? And I always remember that time and and it's been the same even whenever I started doing breakfast radio. Like, I made all the mistakes of the day. Mm. Like, on, on breakfast radio, you, generally you make your mistakes in the overnights and the evenings. <laughs> and then by the time you get to breakfast, you should pretty much have a bit of an idea what's going on. But yeah. Yeah. I sort of winged it a fair bit. And I, I did my own research and whatever. And also, whenever I was that age, you know, going and asking for advice wasn't the easiest thing to do. It's one yeah. thing I would always say to young people now. It's actually, do you know what? You're the bigger person for going and asking rather than thinking that someone's going to think less of you because you don't know. yes. But again, you only learn this as you're getting older. So a, a big part of me wanting to do uh, speaking and, and and talk about self-development is to pass on that message because actually if someone was to come to me now and go, hey, listen, I'm looking for a bit of advice on A, B, C, and D, I think hats off to you yeah. for actually having the nerve to come and ask that's really really good and if i can help you out in any way i will certainly do that and um so that's a big part of wanting to move into that sort of um uh, that that sort of area because you know i have learned a lot of stuff along the way Mm. which i would like to pass on to people and hopefully make it a bit of a shortcut so that they don't have to um you know uh take all the time <laughs> that i that, that i had to go through yeah uh, i have a couple of
2: listener questions just for you here um i'll just play this one uh, it's a it's a familiar voice to you and uh she wanted to also say thank you very much for yesterday for helping out with all the judging with young enterprise but here is carol here
0: hi pete carol here from young enterprise I know you're a big sports fan, so if you had to choose between your golf, your hockey uh,
1: and your football, which would you choose and why? Oh, that is so, that is, that is so hard. <laughs> I'm just so pleased that you didn't add rugby into the mix as well. <laughs> um, I, uh, I love my sport. Sport has, sport has taught me so much. Um so much, like I, 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 I have this analogy for radio, um, in the same way as 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 a football team or a rugby team or a Gaelic team, any a hockey team. Like the 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 key for the manager is to play the play the best person in the right position. Yeah, you know the best person for the role in the right position. It's the same with radio. You know you play you play the right person. For drive, or you play the right person for evenings, or you—you know mm-hmm. what I mean—and mm-hmm. um—and so I, I I use sporting analogies quite a bit. Um, sport for me taught me an awful lot. Um, I I grew up uh, in primary school. I won the sports boy of the year oh yeah in
2: P7. <laughs> and you didn't uh, tell me that I would have read that on your bio at the start
1: <laughs> <laughs> and um but 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 you know, in primary school and this is this is another learning experience going from primary school right um, where I was in every in every team going right um football cricket hockey um uh, athletics. Yeah. Uh, every many rugby, every team going, I was, I was, I was, I was throwing myself right in. So the most ironic thing about it is, is I'm not the tallest person in the world. I'm <laughs> five foot eight. And but yet at that age, I was I was doing high jump at the local <laughs> athletics championships. Ridiculous. Unbelievable. Absolutely ridiculous. Um so um so so sports always been there. Whenever I was uh, in in my teenage years, um I, I had a teacher called Simon Bell who was my biology teacher in first form. And uh, you had to make a choice whether you wanted to play rugby or hockey um, after first year. And like I was dead on it both. Um, and he came to me and he said, you know what, you'll you'll do all right playing hockey. So I played hockey and I went through school, played in all the teams, played club level, played for Ulster and Ireland when I was 15 and 16. And, um, and the, I, I aspired to get on to these teams but where, where sport really taught me a lot was that whenever I got past under sixteen level, I never made another provincial team again. Mm. I got down to like i got down to let's say there were sixteen in, in in the team that were going to play in the Interpros. I got down to like uh the final eighteen or yeah. twenty yeah and I never made another i never made another team and um what happened was was I was so focused. Right on making the team and so fearful of not making the team, what people would say, how I would feel I ended up never making the team because mm. I was so worried about not making it Yeah, I ended up not making it I focused too much on not achieving rather than going, doing it, enjoying it and giving it your best shot, wow. I was so focused on, on not making it and that taught me that taught me so so much. It also amazes me because of what I do. I'll stand on a stage, right in front of city hall, and be ten thousand people down the street, and I'll do what I do, and I will lap it up, and I will love every minute of it, and I'll be more nervous playing a match where there's <laughs> twenty people watching. <laughs> so I, I don't play hockey in the same way as I as 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 I as I did. And um, whenever first eleven at Bangor came, um. I was chairman of Bangor Hockey Club up until last year, and then I played in the first for for a load for loads of years. Well, firstly, whenever I was finishing school, and then I stopped playing for a few years in my twenties, and then I went back. Um, but whenever the first eleven thing finishes for you, uh, number one because you're too old, number two you're surplus to requirement. Um, <laughs> uh, you know the. the the, the the training two, three times a week and play on a Saturday, that finishes. And then hockey unfortunately becomes the first sort of thing to go because yeah. work opportunities would be on a Saturday. Sure. Got I've got young family now and whatever. So so hockey hockey, yes, I, I still like to dip in and I still like to go and play as and when I can. Absolutely. But when it comes to sport as a whole, watching it, I watch golf, I watch rugby, I watch football religiously, mm. um and I love them all. Um and it'd be it, it's too it, it's it's too difficult to say what i would pick over the lot yeah golf as well uh, football <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't do I, I couldn't do i couldn't do without my football um uh i'm a, I, i've never pulled to be my team since i was a child and um and uh, i just i couldn't do i couldn't do without football
2: nice one uh sarah here she says hey pete Absolutely love your TikToks. Would you recommend hopping on the platform and do you think it's going to be a important place for businesses and
1: personalities to be in the future? Okay. So, TikTok is, is a really interesting space. I've only really been on it a few weeks. I signed up to my account, um, donkeys ago, whenever right. uh, it was music, uh, well, musically and then it turned into TikTok. Yeah. Whenever yeah. it just turned into TikTok, I signed up. And um, and just, just just registered my username. And I never did anything with it. And when I say I've only really been doing stuff the last wee bit, it's because my daughter is... My daughter, Ivana, is nine years of age. And she absolutely loves it. <laughs> she loves it. So it's actually something that I can do with her. Awesome. Do you know what I mean? So that's the reason for sort of getting... For doing it, I've only put a few videos up. I'm yeah. not a, I'm not as involved in it as what I would be. You're not TikTok oh, famous yet, are you? No, definitely not. <laughs> but but not. It's, it's not like it would. It's not like what Instagram would be for me. Facebook, Twitter, and mm. uh, LinkedIn would be for me. Definitely not. Um, I I like it because it's something I can do with her. I think it's a really creative platform. Yeah. Um, I think you can get lost in the videos if you give yourself half an hour to actually watch them. Um, and I actually think it's it, at, at this moment in time, it's, it's a fun place. I mean. A lot of the networks can be can be really can be really hard places to be, particularly mm-hmm. if you do put yourself out there. You know, you immediately yourself immediately open yourself up to criticism um, and uh, and all of that. And I think for some people, they're really not. I think they're great in terms of communicating. I think they're great in terms of if you want to seek knowledge. But I also think that um, depending on what way you use them, it can be really really bad for your head. Yeah, absolutely
2: um so that's a, a kind of a random transition to the next one it's here uh, Andrew says hi Pete what do you do if you've got a really sore head or you're not feeling well and during the morning show
1: uh I'll probably say on air that uh I've got a really sore head and I'm not feeling great um I'm, I'm quite transparent that way mm. but no matter what's going on in your life you got to get on and and do what it is that you do. I find radios for me it's escapism for four hours, mm. uh, and if I can, if I can, it's it is difficult in your in your work sometimes to to um to switch off from the outside world. Probably the most challenging time for me on air was um, whenever my dad was dying of cancer, mm. and um, he he fought cancer for. 18 months, and uh, particularly towards the end, you know, um, I was going in in the morning, I was doing the radio show, I was then going to the hospital, I, my mom doesn't drive, so it's was taking her to and from the hospital, you know, you're living, anyone who's gone through that, um, you know, it's never away from your mind, you know, the, 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 yeah, the cancer affects the person who is suffering from it, but it affects everybody else. Um, around them and we are like I mean it's just me my mom and dad or, or was just me mom and dad and we're very very close yeah so that particular time in my life was the um was what was was the most challenging in terms of getting up and doing the radio show um because you had all this stuff going on in your head but you just had to try and park it and go on and and do what it is that you do and, and arguably actually you see around that time you know uh, I don't think people would have known. I um obviously after my father died, and I did make reference to it occasionally on air, but I, I didn't make it a big focal point of my show, um at that particular moment in time. Um, so whenever we were going through that period, I mean, um, I think for you know I would have been on there in the morning and having a laugh and a joke and just getting on with what it was that we we did and then once the news started at 10 o'clock and i walked out that studio door then for me that's when real life began
2: Mm. amazing got another one here and they say have you ever regretted not jumping ship from ni and going across the water to work on a different station
1: it's a really good question um i uh okay, um, I'll tell you this story, and this is another learning um i many many years ago had written to Radio One, and radio one had had wrote back to me and i got it wasn't i didn't i didn't pursue it I didn't pursue it enough um I think what happened to me was that I got the breakfast show, which again isn't for everybody yeah. But it was what I wanted to do, and I got it at such a young age. Mm. I'm only looking back at it now and realizing just the significance of getting it at 24, 25. Yeah, yeah. Whereas people would be people would be now my age now, trying to get to that stage at at my age now, yeah. and seeing that as being you know the natural progression. There's a great thing for getting it so young, but whenever whenever I look at it. No, if I hadn't got it to much later, would my path have changed? I don't really know. But anyway, I wrote to Radio One um and uh I got the dear John letter. Hi. Thanks, for sure, Thanks. And keep in touch with with uh keep in touch with your friends at um at uh, BBC Northern Ireland. That was that was, sad, that was sad, okay? And then I wrote another letter. Um and I sent it off and um I got this letter back. Um and it was it was it was a really nice letter. It was a, it wasn't what I was expecting. I just bought my first house, and um, I was living on my own. And the letter dropped through the the letter box and I opened the letter up, and I will never forget it. I think the letter, if my memory serves me right, the letter came from Ben Cooper. Now Ben Cooper at that stage was assistant program controller to Andy Parfit, who was then the controller of Radio One, mm. and. Um, Ben Cooper then went on to be the controller of Radio 1. He was the boy that put Chris Moyles on breakfast wow. on Radio 1. So anyway, it was this really lovely letter. I, I need to I need to, dig to it out sometime and, and read over it again. I've told a few people this story. Uh, you might as well just tell your listeners. So um, the letter read. It was really positive. It wasn't the Dear John letter. But again, this is another thing in my life that taught me so, so much. So the letter came through, and it pretty much said, Hi, Pete. Um I can't remember the exact words off, it, but pretty much what what he was saying was he liked what he had heard in my demo, and then really wanted me to go away and do another demo that would. Um, uh, I, I note th- th- there's one thing I have to say to you about this is whenever I sent whenever I sent these letters off, and maybe that's the reason why it never happened. I, I was doing it because I wanted to feel like I was trying to progress. Yes, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Meanwhile, I had had the job that I'd always wanted. Yeah. Whenever I was younger, I, I, I've got to be really honest here. In the same way, as I said to you, I didn't dream about being on television. I didn't dream about being on Radio 1. Sure. I didn't dream of it. I dreamt about being on Cool FM. And I think there is this weird kind
2: of like drive that all of us are tempted with to just keep moving and progressing and progressing and progressing and progressing. And you're kind of like, well, where does it actually end? Like, do I even want to go down that road?
1: Exactly. So, so I was sending this off. Just because it's I what you do. Much, I didn't have much going on at the time, and <laughs> I, I had I had the radio show, but I had much. And I sort of thought, well, I don't want to feel that I'm I'm I'm, I'm sitting still. Yeah. But I but I can I be honest with you? Did I want to move to London? No. Did I want to be in Radio One? No. But if it had happened a wee bit like the TV thing, I wouldn't have said no, sure, or maybe it would have. Sure. But you need to have the offer. So anyway, this letter comes through. I nearly fell over. It pretty much said. Listen, you know what? Like what I heard. Now I would like you to do A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. So I want you to do another demo, but I want you to do that. And it was all tailored towards Radio One. And I turned it around in 24 hours and sent it off. Yo, wrong thing to yo, do, yo, yo, yo. Again, again, <laughs> eager, eager, uh, trying to please, not asking advice. Yeah, it's the most stupid thing ever. But again, I learned from it. Mm. It's not what you do. You 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 you, sit, you you think to yourself right okay what way is the best way to approach this? You then maybe make your own notes, maybe seek some advice from people who you admire who have, have been there and done it. Yeah that's what you do and then you then you put your your case to them you don't you don't send something back in 24 hours and expect it's like <laughs> someone going to climb it's it's like someone going to climb everest right yeah. you just don't decide on the monday i'm going to climb everest this friday <laughs> and then get a flight the next day you you got to prepare totally. to, to get there and then to do it and 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 again it's just another it's just another lesson that, that 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 i learned along the way that i think is really 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 important and um but again did i really want it um, I, I don't know whether I did. Yeah. I really did. I, I think, you know, I, and again, as time goes on, you're when you reflect on these things, you look back and go, you know what? That wasn't meant to be. Mm. It really wasn't. Because whenever I was growing up, the, the place I wanted to be was cool. And, and I'm, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity. But it's amazing too, because whenever you get, whenever you get the gig, and you get it that, whenever you're that age, it it's it's more about it's more about hanging on to it and staying there and doing yeah. the best that you can with it yeah. than than um than anything else. And I still got that exact same focus today. For me, it's about being on breakfast and doing what it is that I that 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 I want to do and, and I've been very lucky to be doing it for so long. And all I can say is at this stage law may I continue. So awesome, man. I'll do one
2: more listener question before kind of uh, heading into the stock questions that we always kind of end the episodes with. And Dave here, he just simply asks, hi, Pete, big fan of the show. If you had to start all again right now in 2020, what would you do differently? So, I mean, I think what's interesting about that question is, like you've said, like the whole media landscape has changed. So, so, so much ever since DJ Earl handed you those vinyls, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so um, I think no matter what I would do now, I think the same lessons would apply. Mm. So I still think that, for instance, if if now uh, I was if I was starting starting again, I would be number one trying to create some sort of profile for myself using um, all the the social media channels that are available to me in the internet. I would probably blog. I would, um, I would use, um, I would use probably LinkedIn to, to, to pass out my knowledge on, on, on what radio is and and to try and become in some shape or form. I think I need to do more of this myself anyway, right now, but I am probably a bit of a thought leader on, on what the industry is, where the industry is going. Um, and then I would use the, like be YouTube or whatever to do some sort of video, uh, blogs or whatever it is to to so people would get to, to see me, and then I could easily be able to send what it is that I do to program controllers or or whatever. Yeah. Um. I I mean, all the lessons that I learned took time, and no matter what vehicles are are open to you now in order to push who you are and what you do, it's still going to take time. Mm. Sorry to use the old cliche, but room wasn't built in the day, <laughs> and and even with all the technology available now, it still doesn't mean that you're going to get to the end game any quicker. Yeah, you've just got different platforms in which to promote yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, if I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be creating a CD for myself now, <laughs> because if I went to someone and said, "Take a listen to that," they'll probably say, "What on?" <laughs> you yeah. know so yeah. so 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 those things would would i think fundamentally and the one thing i would say to any any anybody and any career is that if you want to do whatever it is that you want to do you got to go and tell people it is what you want to do mm. cuz you could be the best at anything and you could be sitting at home and believe you me no one's going to come to your door and go hi yep I've got this cracking job for you. Come with me. Wow, it's it's not going to happen. Yeah. So, I think for anybody who aspires to do something that they're passionate about, you need to go and speak to people.
2: Mm. Yeah, totally. So, starting to land the plane here, Pete. These are questions that we ask every single one of our guests, and we have done since the very beginning. And first one is it's probably my favorite because it's it's a bit tricky for. Uh, the stereotypical Northern Irish mindset to kind of get its head around. But, you know, out of all your experience, out of all of your journey so far, what would you describe as the most successful moment or what are you most proud of? My family. Mm.
1: Um, uh, listen, you can take the radio away and there will be someone on the radio tomorrow. Yeah. You can take all the social media away and you're sitting there in your house, and um the most important people in my life and I, I'm very blessed because um hashtag blessed. <laughs> oh God um um i i I am very, very, very lucky to have my wife, Jules, and my two kids, Ivana and Elena, and my mum. um We are a very tight knit family, and I've got all Julia's side of the family too, who I love. Um, but uh, I'm very I, that that's that for me is my my greatest achievement to have to have them, and I'm also extremely lucky to have. Uh, I have no brothers and sisters, but I have got some of the best mates anyone could ever ask for, and wow. I know that if I ran into trouble and I needed a helping hand, I know that they'd be there for me. So for me, that's that's my greatest success, um, because because I have all those people in my life. I'm so thankful for it. So good.
2: Flip's out of that question then. How about the most challenging moment you've experienced so far? And if you don't mind sharing, how are we able
1: to overcome it? Um, uh, challenging. Um, I mean, my career's challenging, but then um, everybody's career should be challenging. Um, I, think, uh, I think probably the most challenging time I've ever had in my life was when my dad was dying. Mm. Um, I decided... I decided he was in the midst of his chemotherapy, and I decided with eight weeks before the Belfast Marathon, I would run the marathon for him. Mm-hmm. And and um, he made it to different parts of the route. So it was the old Belfast. Oh, this is wow. twenty. This twenty thirteen. So they came. Him and my mum came, and they stood at the Burn Junction as you <laughs> run down the the Hollywood Road, and and they were there. And then they they dodged across town up onto the Falls Road, and nice. they waited for me as I nice. ran down the Falls Road, and then. They uh, nipped across to um, uh, the bottom of the Ormo Road. You know, when you used to, I'm not sure which way the route finishes now, but used to go along, you may still do the towpath from Central Station or what uh, is Lanyon yeah, Place yeah, yeah. now, yeah, yeah. right yeah. the way to the, to, to the bridge at the Ormo Road and then take a left. They were waiting for me there and then they made their way back across to the Ozone where, where it finished and, um, and they're waiting for me going across the, the finish line. And I swear to you, like it was. I'd give myself eight weeks to train. Like it wasn't, it wasn't enough, right? But I got round it in four and a half hours. Unreal. I swear to you, I swear to you, the last, the last six miles. No one ever tells you. So I, all the all the reading you know about marathons and whatever, I didn't do too much. Of that I just asked people who had done the marathon <laughs> before. They said in your training, don't go past twenty miles. Yeah, no, no problem. So I I remember going out for my first run and I just. The other reason why I decided to do this hockey season, we, we hadn't done particularly well that year and our season finished early. So we were finished like in March, yeah, uh, the end of March, um, or midway through March, whatever it was. So I had all of April and in May and the, the, the marathon was in May. So that's all I had. And I remember going out for my first run. I went and did six miles. <sighs> and I was, that was fair enough. So, so I just started to, to, so I did six miles, then I did nine miles, then I went back to six. Then I did 12, bloody blah 15. And I got myself up to the 20-mile mark and this was like a week before the marathon. Yeah. And I'd done 20 miles. I will never forget it. I, I arrived back at the house. I was buzzing. I was like, <laughs> wow, I did 20 miles. I felt like I'd actually accomplished the yes. marathon because yeah. any, anyone would tell you, don't go any don't, don't go past 20 miles. But then what happened was I got to the marathon day and I'll never forget it. I was coming back down from Gideon's Green, back down to Duncrew Industrial Estate. And I was I was with the I was at that point on the two the three and a half hour marker passed me. And I'm running with a three and a half hour marker, and I'm like, "This is going <laughs> really well." Until I got to Duncrew Industrial Estate, and up on the sign says twenty miles, and I'm like, "Oh boy, twenty miles!" And then the psychological impact of realizing that you still had six point two miles to go—it was just all a little bit too much. Plus, I need to go for a pee, so I stopped. <laughs> I went for a pee and then you see getting going again. Aww. Oh man, it was, it was horrific. And even the thoughts of a pepperoni Domino's pizza and, <laughs> and a cheesy chip at the end of it. I mean, um, I could smell the pepperoni pizza. Yeah. It was the only thing that was getting me around. But by God, that last six they don't tell you about the, the six miles at the end and psychologically how hard that is. And man, it was really, really, really tough, but getting across the finish line. Seeing my dad at the finish line um, was 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 brilliant, and um, yeah, I will I will always cherish that medal. Amazing, dude! That's that's a good story. Super
2: cool story. Um, if you could take any person from Northern Ireland out for a coffee or a pint or whatever it is, uh, who would you take and where would you take them?
1: Um, uh, anybody in Northern Ireland anybody does it have to be some someone to know okay do you know you know what this this is the crack um I would I would take uh, right now I would take Jimmy Nesbitt out for a pint <laughs> and the reason why I'll take Jimmy and I, I I know Jimmy I don't know Jimmy like he's my best mate he's been on the radio show before I generally see him Every year at the Mary Peters um, Christmas dinner, yeah, um, and uh, like for instance, the last time I saw him was at the Mary Peters Christmas dinner uh, at the Europa Hotel just before Christmas, and we got chatting. And um, I was like, "Jimmy, listen, I want to sit down and do like a you know uh, an interview, not too dissimilar to what we're doing right now, like a yeah. good chat." Yeah, Jimmy says, "No hassles. Um, I'm home quite a bit." Um, in January and February, give us a shout. I said, listen, I'll come up to Port Rush. We can do it up in the port or whatever. He says, no hassles. Can I get in touch with Jimmy to make it happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so right now, I would take Jimmy out for a pint on the basis that I would bring my recorder and we would we would record the conversation. <laughs> You're like Jimmy, uh can we make this pint last for an hour at least please mate? <laughs> so um so that would be that would be who I do I would I would bring out for for a chat right uh, now. Awesome man.
2: Uh Pete, final question and, and thank you so much for everything you've sh- shared so far. If you could take you know an 18-year-old version of yourself, let's say we could go back in time, ultimate interview cliche question, but I love it. And you could go back and you could have a couple of minutes of the 18-year-old the Pete Snodden. What sort of things would you say to him?
1: So uh, growing up, I was a worrier. Oh, man, I worried about everything. And um, if it didn't have something to worry about, I would find something to worry about. It was like that thing when, you know, you know, chilling out was, was quite difficult for me growing up. I, I was always at something. If it was, if I wasn't playing sport, I was mixing records. And if I wasn't doing that, I was doing something else. And, um, I would have always worried, worried about, well, what if this happens or what if this happens or whatever. As I've grown older, I've, I've learned to, to totally be able to deal with that. Um, and, and, and for me, I'd be saying to myself at 18 years of age, first up, don't sweat the small stuff. Mm. um, you know, um, try to take something positive out of every single thing. You are going to face challenges, but those challenges will make you the person that you'll become. And and all those experiences that come with those, that is what shapes you. And, you know, fundamentally and hopefully that makes you a better person. Yeah. So uh, that's what I'd be telling myself. And I would also be telling myself, and something that I did learn early doors, and that's to take yourself out of your comfort zone. And thankfully in my life, I have been able to do that probably at the start unknowingly, but that's what I did in order to, to push on to, to what I ended up going to do. Um, it wasn't a conscious thing. I wasn't going, Oh, I better take myself out of my comfort <laughs> zone. I think, I think I, I think I just, I just, I just did that sort of automatically. Yeah. Um, but there's a learning in that and I think it's so important. And um, I would be telling myself, listen you do this but just keep on doing it don't be fearful of it it'll make you who you are yeah unreal
2: well pete thank you so much really really appreciate your time and really appreciate you sharing everything that you did
1: listen uh, my pleasure and listen keep up the keep up the good work and um Hopefully, for anyone who's uh, spent the time listening to this, hopefully you get something out of it. Absolutely,
2: and for everyone who is listening, thank you very much for making it all the way through to the end. Really, really enjoyed today. Hope you guys did too. And if you'd like to check out over a 100- hundred our long conversations with incredible people from Northern Ireland, just like this one you heard with Pete, you can find out more at bestofbelfast.org. But other than that, just want to say thanks very much for listening. We're doing a daily podcast every single day during the lockdown called Quarantine Phone Calls, just to put out some positive Northern Irish content for us during this time. And uh, yeah, looking forward to catching you tomorrow. Thanks and all the best.
0: Hi everyone, I'm Claire Dowdge, GM of Ormo Baths, a tech hub and co-working facility based in the historic Victorian bathhouse in the heart of Belfast City Centre. Back in the good old days, Best of Belfast was my commute entertainment. Listening to the inspiring stories of Northern Irish people following their dreams and making magic happen was a great start or end to my day. Now that I've been working from home, I've kept up the same routine and it's a great way for me to continue to brighten my days. My favourite episode, well, it has to be from one of our dear members of our Baz community, Mr Mark Todd. It was really inspiring and it just made me feel very peaceful, at rest and happy knowing that there's excellent people doing excellent things within Northern Ireland. It is our delight. And our pleasure to have Best of Belfast based out of the Armo Baths. And we're excited about what's coming next. So if you've been on the fence about joining the Producers Club and would miss Best of Belfast if it wasn't here, I'd highly recommend you joining today. Pop on over to bestofbelfast.org and I look forward to seeing you in our WhatsApp group very soon.